Afterwards, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat. But that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore. But the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them. <coughs> Friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment round him, for he had taken it off, and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore about a hundred meters. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you've just caught. Simon Peter climbed aboard and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of his disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me? more than these. Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. And I speak in the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The young man did not know what to do. It seemed blatantly obvious to him that the world was in a mess. Where for many years, the West in which he lived had been an ordered world of economic prosperity, shaped by the values of Christianity, where Europe was unified under one central power. Now it seemed, quite frankly, that chaos reigned. 
He looked around him and saw the collapse of the central power, civil unrest, sometimes violent uprisings, cultural and moral decline. This young man has come to the capital to study, but he finds that the city has become a place in which the practice of Christianity is losing itself by adopting pagan ways. So disillusioned, he abandons his studies there to find a better way. The year is AD 500 or thereabouts. The city is Rome, with Europe still going through the shockwaves of the fall of the Roman Empire. And the young man is Benedict of Nicaea, who would go on to become the founder of the Order of Monks we now know as the Benedictines. But why do you need to know any of this? And what relevance does it have to us today? Well, bear with me and we'll explore together. Last week at our annual meeting, we talked about our church's vision for the love of God revealed in Jesus Christ and welling up in the Holy Spirit to be known and experienced throughout Highbury. We talked about our aim for this church to be a place where everyone can come to faith in Jesus Christ and grow spiritually. For it to be a well drawing people from across the local community to a place where they can find refreshment, healing and wholeness. And that we might be a church which looks beyond itself and resources mission both home and away. And in setting out these aims, we talked a little about how in God's grace we might start to try and achieve them. But like so much of the Christian life, all of this starts very simply. It starts with us setting out to be Christians. And Christians in the original and most basic sense of that word, imitators of Jesus Christ. We start to be the church we are called to be when we commit to the lifelong journey of being followers and imitators of Jesus. And we support each other, we help and we strengthen each other to do that. Over the years I've come to realise that this does not happen accidentally. How can it? As it was for Benedict at the start of the 6th century, the society that we live in today in the 21st century has not bought into the values and the worldview of Christianity. So we're not going to become good followers of Jesus Christ and imitators of him by simply going with the flow of what 21st century London values and thinks important. Instead, we have to be intentional about the way that we live. We need determination. We have to choose, adopt, and then live with practices that will help our lives to be shaped by God and help us to be more Christ-like. I wonder how many of you uh, saw any of the London Marathon last Sunday? Yeah, a few, a few, a few. Do we have anybody who actually took part in the London Marathon last Sunday? Okay, no, that's fine. Um, there are some races that you can just turn up and run. And if you're reasonably fit, you have a chance of completing and even enjoying them without bothering to train. But the marathon is not one of them. And what was so inspiring about watching it is that we know that for every participant, from the elite runners and wheelchair athletes to those who are dressed as 
uh, Big Ben or uh, a rhino or um, uh, a panda. All of those people, what we're seeing is the result of hours and hours of training, uh, going out day by day, week by week, through the cold and the dark of winter to be fit enough to run 26.2 miles last weekend. And for me, what's fascinating about that process of training is that those first few weeks, making the time to go out, forcing oneself to go for a run when it's the last thing that we feel like doing, starting to eat in a more healthy way, maybe cutting back on alcohol, maybe getting more sleep, making these changes at the beginning can be really, really hard work. But over time, our bodies start to really enjoy it, to look forward to going out for a run, to miss it when we don't. We feel better for exercising and eating well. And what starts as a real effort becomes a habit, and we start to see and feel the benefits as we get fitter and healthier. And we even find that our desires start to be reshaped. So we start to look forward to things that are good for us, that are healthy for us, they're going to make us feel better. And the same is absolutely true about the spiritual life. Whilst it's absolutely true that none of us can come to God in our own strength, but only through the grace of God made known in Jesus Christ, it's also absolutely true that that journey of growing closer to God and allowing the Holy Spirit to change us, to be more like Jesus Christ, is a lifetime's work and requires us to be intentional, committed, and to keep working at it. And luckily, we've each been given a lifetime to do that. And we will slip up and lose ground and often feel that we've made a real mess of it. And that's where maybe our gospel reading today comes as a helpful reminder. It's a few days after Jesus has risen from the dead. And John records how on Easter day, Jesus appeared to Mary Magdalene by the tomb and then to the disciples in an upstairs room. And here he breathes the Holy Spirit upon them. And he tells them that he is sending them out with authority to forgive sins. And we might imagine that this propelled the excited group of disciples out to share the good news of Jesus risen and alive with the world. But instead, our reading begins with Peter's declaration I'm going fishing. And the others saying, okay, we'll come with you then. Peter, it seems, has gone back, at least for a little while, to what he knows. Having been such a passionate supporter of Jesus, always the one to put himself forward first, sure that he would stay with Jesus to the end, he now feels himself a failure and a fraud. Because when Jesus needed him most, Peter's nerve failed. When Jesus most needed someone who might stand alongside him, Peter denied that he even knew Jesus. So whilst it was fantastic news that Jesus was risen, that he was alive, Peter felt that he'd been exposed as a total failure as a disciple. After letting Jesus down so badly, what could he do but give up and go back fishing? Peter denied Jesus three times. I'm sure that's why Jesus asks him three times, do you love me? 
And by the third time, when Peter, in exasperation, replies, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Peter realizes that he is forgiven. That Jesus still wants him to be a founder of the church. That in Jesus, God's indefatigable, irrepressible love still reaches out to him. Peter has touched the rock. And in the same way, we are not to stop or give up when we feel that we have failed as followers of Jesus. We are to be real and honest about our failings, and that's why a prayer of confession is part of each main Sunday service. But as we're real with God about our own weakness, we find that God in his grace and love forgives and calls us to carry on and strengthens us again for the journey. So even though we stumble, we keep going and we keep gathering around Jesus, ready to be sent out by him. That's the pattern of our Christian life. We keep coming back to Jesus in our prayer and worship and our reading of the Bible. And we need a discipline about that so that our spiritual life is shaped and nourished. Some describe this discipline as a rule of life. The reason that people have still heard of Benedict today, 1,500 years after his life, is that he drew up a very famous rule of life that he recommended for those who came to see him in the monastery who came to be part of that monastic life. And in it, he sought to lay down nothing harsh, nothing burdensome, but to try to help the monks to structure their lives such that they could be as effective as possible in growing into the likeness of Jesus. Specifically, he wanted them to have a life that was centered around prayer. Back in the 1960s, the media analyst Marshall McLuhan declared that everyone he knew who had lost their faith had begun to do so by ceasing to pray. The regular practice of prayer is what connects us to God. We breathe in the love of God, we breathe out the stresses and strains and burdens and troubles that our hearts carry. I think for a long time my prayers were very, very wordy. I think I'd grown up being told that you say your prayers. And, and that's not a bad thing to be told. But I think part of the life of prayer is about simply learning to be still in the presence of God. And to try to shut down our own tendency to conversation such that we can listen to what God has to say to us. One of the first things that Jesus' disciples noticed about him, almost before they'd wondered at his miracles and his teaching, was the way that his life was shaped around time spent in prayer to his heavenly father. So they asked him, Lord, teach us to pray. So for some people, the establishment of a rule of life is all about finding ways to build regular prayer into our lives, in the same way that an aspiring marathon runner might need to draw up a pattern for regular training. This is not about being restrictive. It's about shaping a pattern of life that will help us to grow closer to Jesus Christ. Now, when Benedict drew up his rule, he was able to ask his monks, because they were all living in a community together, to set aside seven times a day to say prayers in chapel. 
most of us are not in any sort of position to do that. But what he also sought to do was to shape the day of the monks so that in their work and in their time together, and in fact in everything that they did, they were conscious of being in the presence of God, of being followers of Jesus Christ. And that, I think, if we are intentional about it, is something that we can each do. For us, the practice of setting time aside to pray, maybe to download the Church of England's daily prayer app to our phones so that we can set aside 15 minutes to pray morning prayer or midday prayer or night prayer or any combination each day is something that we can perhaps do. We may already have a pattern of reading the Bible, of making space for personal prayer each day, and if so, that's great. Most of us find that the availability of space in our lives and the times and pressures upon them changes as we grow older. I remember feeling uh, that I was incredibly busy before my children were born. And then I remember feeling as my children were growing up that I was constantly playing catch up. And just as I thought that I'd made this plan for how and when I could find time and space to pray based around when the children were in bed or at school or when I didn't have work or family commitments to fulfill, then something changed and the patterns that I'd planned were no longer workable. I had to learn a little from the Celtic tradition where the Celtic Christians had prayers for use uh, whilst milking a cow or ploughing or cooking. What about a simple pattern of prayer for the morning commute or the school run or whilst feeding the baby or whilst um, walking the dog? Maybe there are patterns of prayer that we can build into our lives. Uh, and, and the values of those prayers, it's not so much that in those moments, those snatched moments here and there, we enter into a deep communion with God uh, that is utterly transformative, though by God's grace sometimes that might happen. But it's more that once we've had those times of prayer in the midst of the ordinary action of our day, and once to take those times becomes a habit, then in more of the rest of our day, we're aware of the presence of God. And then we find that we start to long for the occasions like now, like being here now, when we can come together with others to really enjoy time in prayer and praise and worship. Benedict set up his monasteries and his rule because he felt that in challenging times, people needed help and support to live the Christian life well. <coughs> I believe that in challenging times of our own, What's needed is for us to commit to come together as Christians, to support each other in shaping our lives around Jesus Christ. And a great place to start to do that is by being intentional and finding a discipline of prayer.